get people to come to true salvation. And uh, we're going to talk about that. There needs to be a, a good balance in that area. And I think that we find a good balance right here in Psalms 19, where the Lord says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament soweth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which as a bridegroom cometh out of the chamber, and rejoiceth a strong man to run in a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit unto the end of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And so it very clearly tells us that we can look at the sky, uh, we can look at the northern lights dancing here, we can go out and in the middle of the night in the winter and, and look straight up and see uh, the North Star and, and realize that God has showed himself, that he showeth his handiwork. But the very next verse, after talking all about God evidencing himself in creation, in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That evidence is good, and it declares God, uh, but it never saved a soul. It's the law of the Lord that's perfect, and it's the law of the Lord that converts the soul. And so we have across the board in, uh, in our nation and, and European nations and this questioning of, of the evidence of God. Uh, and really, if you boil it down, to deny God and that there is a God, the whole outflow of evolution, is ultimately for the reason that mankind doesn't want to acknowledge that he's accountable uh, to his creator. And so if you can do away with the creator, you can do away with your accountability. We hear things like this, if God really does exist, why doesn't he just come down to the earth so we can see and hear and touch him and watch him perform miracles? If God really loves us, wouldn't he do this so we can all get saved and go to heaven? One person asked, why has God never revealed himself to us? And the answer is, if there was a God, there would be no reason at all that he should not show himself, except, of course, that it's, this is impossible because there is no God. Sometimes our unbelieving friends wonder why God doesn't just appear to everyone on earth and prove it in a, himself in a personal way that he exists. Why didn't he show himself to each generation of humanity so that everyone on the earth can see and hear and nobody on a shadow of a doubt that he's real? After all, according to the Bible, the Lord appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as the Almighty God. And he spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So why doesn't he do the same for everyone else? Stalin said, you know, they're fooling us. There is no God. Richard Dawkins says, we cannot prove that there is no God, but we can safely conclude that he is very, very improbable indeed. 
the great American poet, <laughs> according to some, said, Walt Whitman said, there is no God any more divine than yourself. He was shocked after he died. And so what about this thing about evidence for God? Now sometimes, sometimes that question is where is God is legitimate. If you hear in Psalms, if you look over into Psalms 13, there was a point in David's life when he was really discouraged. And in Psalms 13, he says in verse 1, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thyself from me? And so he was questioning, where is God? And, and why is this going on? But you see that by the time he works himself through this and gets down to verse 6, he says, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And so we're not condemning here the questioning of why God is doing what he's doing. Uh, if you look over into uh, a very interesting verse over in uh, Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist, who the Lord commended as no man like him, and really said some great things about John the Baptist, but in, John the, in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And he says uh, in verse 18 uh, of Luke chapter 7, well, in verse 19, And John calling unto him two of the disciples sent him to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And we know that John the Baptist came preparing the way of the Lord. He said, uh, you know, uh, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And he was convinced that he was the Messiah. He was the Lamb of God. But now he's in prison and he, and he writes back and, he, and he, he sends his disciples over to say, go, go see Jesus and ask him, Are you who you said you are? Or do we look for another? And so it is human for us to sometimes wonder, and the answer for that is found exactly how Jesus answered these disciples. And when the men were coming to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way. And tell John what things you have seen and heard, and how it is that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to the poor, the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when you study that out, and I don't know if we have time to do that, uh, well, let's go over uh, to Isaiah. Actually, the Lord is quoting from Isaiah chapter 35. And so how do, I, how do I find the cure for when my spirits are lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut and uh, I'm discouraged? We go to his word. And he pointed them to his word. And he says in Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened 
and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And that's what he said to John's disciples. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness the waters shall break out and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and in the habitation of dragons, which each, each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And I don't know if you remember, but there were when Jesus was in the synagogue, and they gave him the scriptures to read, he read out of Isaiah, but he, he cut off his reading of Isaiah right in the middle of a verse. And the reason he cut it off right in the middle of the verse, because the first things he said was concerning his first appearance, his first coming, but the rest of it concerned his second coming. And so when he cut it off, he's trying to say, I've come first, but, I'm, but this is going to happen. Well, in this verse, we find the blind and the deaf hearing, but these streams in the desert and stuff, uh, they're coming. And, and so, so, he, so the point of all this is that the people can question uh, and have wonders about where is God and is God real? And, the, and we who are saved, uh, the Spirit of God dwells within us. I know that I'm my beloved and he is mine. And that's all reaffirmed in my heart and my mind when I get back into the scripture. Now, when, uh, when, uh, when we're doing, uh, when we're evangelizing and people are asking for evidence, there needs to be, there needs to be uh, a division between questions of, uh, there's, there could be questions of it that's, that's comes in relationship to ignorance, they're, and I don't mean you know stupid, but I mean they're not been informed. But some questions can be because of, of I don't know how to put this, of unbelief or, or uh, I don't, that's not really a good term. It's just really doubting and questioning, and uh, the questioning in the sense of denial. And, uh, and uh, well, let me put it this way. Uh, there's a difference between twist, questioning the existence of God uh, from unbelief and from ignorance. Mark Twain said this, no amount of evidence will persuade the idiot. And the Lord says, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. So you have to determine, probably the best word here would have been the word fool. You have to determine, when someone asks you, well, can you give me evidence of God? You have to determine whether that question comes out of a real searching for God, or does that come out of a heart of the fool? And, and uh, that's kind of what we're getting at. When you go over to Proverbs chapter 26, can be a kind of a, a head scratcher. In Proverbs chapter 26, and verse 4, 
In Proverbs 26, 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. But the verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And so, what's, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a matter of determining whether it's a one of ignorance, a foolishness out of ignorance, or foolishness out of hard-heartedness and being a fool. And so, so uh, I'll say this later. I'll, let me jump ahead here. There was a, there was a guy lecturing, a uh, Southern Baptist man lecturing at a college on creation and evidence for God, or, or just on creation, and this student approached him uh, after the lecture and he said, can, can you give me some evidence for God? Can you prove to me there's God? Can you give me evidence for God? And so he uh, said to him, well, what amount of evidence would convince you? And he said, uh, well, I've never thought about that. And so he didn't even, that's where the conversation ended. Because it wasn't about wanting to know. It was about questioning, and, 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 and okay, I'm going to jump way ahead here, but <laughs> my rabbit's running too fast here. But listen, if we're not careful, when we enter into this evidence evangelism, we allow the world to put God on trial. God doesn't have to prove himself. Amen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork we're going to find that he has proved himself over and over and over. And you're going to find in, Revel in Romans it says they are without excuse. Why? Because God has revealed himself. And so, so don't fall into the trap as, as God's children that I'm just going to have to give more and more evidence. You know, thank God for the Creation Museum in Kentucky. Thank God for the Evidence Bible. But, but let's remember that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That we're going to have to get down to the fact that man is a sinner. He must repent of his sin and trust in the Savior. And we, and we have to come to some point, as Ray Comfort, I don't know if you ever read any of his literature, but he said we have to bypass the brain and go to the conscience. Do you, uh, do you consider yourself a good person? Well, yeah, sure. Okay, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? And that goes, bypasses the brain, not that the, 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 the gospel isn't reasonable and it's not logical, it is. It's not, don't let anybody try to put you and say, well, you have to, you have to be saved by blind faith. Our faith is not blind. That's built upon a solid foundation. And so, so don't let people, you know, uh, put God on trial. And that's, that's what often happens in evidence, evidence evangelism. We, it's good when people say, well, I don't know if there's a God or not. And they may be ignorant totally of the Bible. And you can give them some evidence, but there needs to be followed up with... Uh, with the gospel. Now there's really uh, uh, three major areas when we talk about evidence. One is cause, 
etymological, and that just shows I'm educated, <laughs> teleological, and the moral argument. You can't read this anyway, so you don't know if I spelled it right. Uh, cosmological, cause, and effect. You know, we see these lights up here. Something caused them. There's a cause and effect. Teleological means that things are raised uh, or in an organized way. DNA says there's organization. DNA screams out that there had to be a designer. And then, then the moral argument. It's interesting that, uh, that the atheist says there is no God, but you say, well, then uh, if there's no God and there's no right and wrong, well, let me sleep with your wife tonight. Oh, no, that, that's, that can't be right. Well, if a, true, if a guy is truly an atheist, he has to come to the place where he says, there's no moral laws. You can do whatever you want to do. Okay, so I want to I give you uh, two videos. The first one is going to cover the cosmological and teleological argument, and then the moral argument, and then we'll talk some more about how that don't let us be hijacked into uh, trying to convince people simply on uh, an evidence basis. We got the radio station coming in good.
Well, Then I will create eight for the quiet Jews that everything we see came out of nothing. Once you restart it, you see what happens. Huh? In a conversation about faith, it's doing what? Oh. All right, let's go to let's go with the second one. Can you be good without God? Let's find out. Absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait, the question isn't can you be good without believing in God? The question is, can you be good? God. See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is good up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are made. But if there's no God, there's no objective reference point. All we're left with is one person's viewpoint, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint. This kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject, not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed his moral nature to us as commands. These provide a basis for moral duty. For example, God's essential attribute of love is expressed in his command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil, greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it, or does God will something because it is good? The answer is, Neither one. Rather, God wills something because He is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high fidelity recording. The more the recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard, so there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. 
But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong. The cat's just being a cat. If God doesn't exist, we should view human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is, good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real, our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, hey, that's not fair, that's wrong, that's an injustice, you affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination, and terrorism are wrong for everybody, always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says two plus two equals five. Man. What all this amounts to then is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. Okay. Huh? Yeah, I'll give it. Okay, there is a, a, lo a lot to handle there in, in just a short clip. And uh, the, other, the other one about uh, design and cause and effect, I think you're pretty familiar with. Uh, in this process, there's some here that haven't been here uh, throughout the whole thing, but we talked about relativism. Relativism is truth for you is truth for you, and truth for me is truth for me, and you can believe your belief, and I can believe my belief, and truth is relative as how you perceive it, and you know, like this, this here is on, this here is on uh, the right for me, but if you look at it, it's on the left, and so you perceive truth from a different view, and it's not neither right nor wrong, and, uh, and that's why one picture there, I talked about it's okay to rape little children. That guy actually wrote about that and teaches that, because, because it's just part of evolution. It's just part of the evolutionary process. If you look at animals, you know, they have no morals. And if we're really evolved creatures, then there's no right or wrong. And in fact, Nietzsche, uh, the, the German uh, atheist, he, he became very angry with the atheists of the world because they had morals. And if you really believe in atheism that we just evolved and as animals, there is no right or wrong. And so we, sh we shouldn't have, we shouldn't say, hey, you can't do that, or, or it's wrong for you to do that. No, there's no right or wrong. If you're true atheist, and, and uh, even uh, Richard Dawkins has some problems with that, he, he, he uh, was married later in life, and, and he said, well, you know, that does create an issue, and I prefer to do this, but, if you're really, truly 
fly the flag of an atheist, that we all evolved and God was not in the process, then uh, there's no right and there's no wrong except how you perceive what's right and wrong. But as I said in, that, in this video, it's not that it, it, it's, uh, they made that, uh, he, they said that God is the standard of moral value. And so what makes things right and what makes things wrong is God. And, and, and for us to even say that there's right and wrong uh, links us back to a creator. And that's what the whole, uh, the, that series is trying to get at. Now, uh, let me see where I should go here. The uh, cause and effect and, and the order of the universe uh, we can talk about DNA. It's a wonderful uh, evidence of God. But let me read you this, uh, this little statement. Evidential apologist, apology is just defending the Bible, can, can confuse unbelief with ignorance. They consider the supposed information gap as the void Christians need to fill to usher uneducated unbelievers into the kingdom. Consequently, these well-meaning Christian intellectuals labor long and hard in the quest for compelling evidence of God's existence. And so the major push behind the Creation Museum is to, is to show the world that there is great evidence for God. But true Christians aren't mentally coerced into being Christians. Christians have to be spiritually converted by God. They have to come to see themselves as lost, as sinners, that their problem is a problem with God, and they need to be converted. So let's look, uh, let's look over. So what I'm saying is this. You may not have a good explanation, or, or you may not be able to, you know, really get into the cosmological arguments or theological arguments, and there's, there's a lot of good things out there to, to prove that, and there's a lot of good, uh, uh, there are some people who are really searching for those answers, because you've got to understand that the majority of, of our fellow citizens, if you want to say it that way, they have been raised in a school that teaches evolution. They've swallowed that. Uh, they, that's, what, that that's, that's what undergirds them. And, uh, and that's what they're trying to stand on. And so th th there may be, an, even when, when Paul went to Athens, it's interesting to see when Paul went to Athens. Instead of beginning with the gospel, he began with creation. And said, God created, you know, this, this, this God who, they had, you know, all the different little idols out there, and they had one to the unknown God. And when he started teaching about the unknown God, he began with, he's your creator. But then he comes down and says, you know, you need to repent. I mean, he brings it to the gospel. And so when we look in Romans chapter 1, what, what I'm saying is this, is that, that we have, if we don't have a good background as far as uh, the evidence part of trying to share with people, 
we still, uh, I shouldn't even say this, we, we, we have the major thing. This is it. And look over in Romans chapter 1. You see what, see, let's not sell God short. He is working. And the Spirit of God is reproving the world of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. And, in, and as we saw in Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And in Romans 1 and 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And when it talks about holding the truth in unrighteousness, that word hold there doesn't mean to hold it up, but it means they suppress it. And so there's a truth that the world knows that they suppress. They don't want to hear that. They can't look out upon the sky at night and understand that there's a designer and a creator. I mean, we look at the building and we say, there's a designer. You look at the picture that's painted, there is a painter. And so God is clearly, he's evidence. And they suppress that truth. Because, now look at this, clearly, look at this. Because that which may be known of God, there's something that can be known of God. That which can be known of God is manifest in them. That it's in them. That they know there's a God. Every, every atheist had to be educated to be an atheist. This known. God has manifested them. And God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him through the creation of the world are clearly seen. It's not foggy. It's not, it's not smoky. It's clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, what? Even his eternal power and Godhead. And that's interesting, and I don't have time for that, but if you study out creation, you'll see that a lot of things are made in a, tri in a trinity. Time, space, and matter. Length, depth, and height. And creation screams that there's a Godhead. And, and it doesn't just say God here, but it says a, a God is. So they are without excuse. We're not dealing with a people that are j just ignorant when we're trying to talk, bring them to the Lord. We're dealing with a people who have been clearly in their heart evidence of God. And we're dealing with a people who, want to, who wants to put our God and our beliefs and, and on, on trial. Where is the evidence? Well, let me tell you what the evidence is. The evidence is down in your heart. And you're without excuse. And you're going to be held accountable. Look over in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2. And look in verse 14. Romans 2, 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law... Do by nature the things contained in the law, they having not the law, are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Right there is the moral argument. You know right from wrong. When, you, when your kids get in trouble, you say to them, you know better. Why do they know better? Because God is God. And he said that's in their heart. And, and there's an there's a understanding 
of right and wrong. Let me uh, read a number of years ago in a conversation with a fellow atheist, Peter Boghossian and Richard Dawkins, uh, this was the conversation. Peter said, given that the host of arguments for the existence of God don't work, what will it take for you to believe in God? And so this one fellow atheist asked Richard Dawkins what it would take for him to believe in God. Well, I'm starting to think nothing would, which, is a, which in a way goes against the grain because I've always paid lip service to the view that a scientist should change his mind when evidence is forthcoming. The trouble is, I can't think of what evidence, uh, what that evidence would look like. Dawkins states that there's no evidence that would convince him there is a God, as he could always come up with a probable explanation, aliens or hallucinations. But, uh, uh, so what I'm pointing, as I, as I said earlier, is that for some people, there's no evidence that's going to convince them of God because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They don't want to hear it. And they hold it down. And, uh, and so he, he said, as a scientist, I should acknowledge the evidence and then make my conclusions. But when it comes to the evidence that there's a God in design, uh, he, he wants to say, no, time and chance produced you. This took a long time that we evolved out of non-living material and we've become ourselves when the eye is a miracle. Yesterday I closed a little poem that said, uh, maybe someday a miracle will look up at you. When you held your baby, were you not convinced that it was a miracle? Uh, well, if you're a thinking person, you had to be. And so, it's interesting that Dawkins will say, well, how did life get here on Earth? Well, it came from outer space. An alien must have landed here on Earth. Where's the evidence for alien? If he says there's no evidence for God, where's the evidence for an alien? They'll say, well, all this came about by a big bang. All this was compressed, and there was a big bang, and the universe is still expanding. Well, where's the evidence for that? Where's the evidence? They'll say that dinosaurs, which are solid bone, evolved into birds, which are hollow boned. Everybody knows that it has anything to do with science that, that dinosaurs evolved into birds. Well, where's the evidence? They want to suppress the evidence for God and promote the evidence that they have no, they have no justification for. The people evolved from ape-like creatures that our cousins or our, our grandpas were orangutans. Well, where's the evidence? The atheist 
accounts for the laws of logic, but when you really study out logic, it has to be from a mind of God. Morality, as we saw, and good and evil, being rational. All, you know, uh, as it said there in one of those videos, uh, I mean, uh, if I leave the room and, and my hamburger is on the table and, and my dog jumps up there and eats it and I come back in and yell at him, the, the tone of my voice makes him, because he knows that sometimes with that tone of voice he gets slapped in the rear end. And so he gets, you know, a little cowed down. But I'm telling you this, he don't feel guilty for eating my hamburger. And why do we have guilt and a sense of right and wrong because of the moral argument? And so the point of this is that when people say there's not enough evidence to prove that there's a God, that we don't have to go bonkers and, well, how are we going to reach these people? How are we going to, how are we going to uh, evangelize them? Well, understand that no answer is an acceptable answer for the fool. And don't answer a fool according to his folly. You may say, well, as that one guy did, well, what evidence will convince you there is a God? And basically, Dawkins was honest in saying, well, there's no evidence. I'm always going to find an argument for that. Because, because if there is an argument, if it was one that he couldn't refute and he could not deny and he didn't try to deny, then uh, he's accountable to his creator. And that's really where it's at. And so uh, what I'm saying to you uh, this morning and I'm uh, running this a little, about as far as I'm going to run it, you might get a little extra time to use the restroom, but uh, is that don't sell your Bible short and don't sell the Holy Spirit short and don't think that you're going to have to be a Ken Ham with a walking dictionary or a walking encyclopedia about creation. Use this material, yes, for people who are really searching, but point out to man that we're going to bypass, you know, let's just put that aside a little bit. Let's just put this aside about whether you believe this or that about our existence. But do you consider yourself a good person? Have you ever lied? And if God would judge you, if there is a God, if there is a God, and he judged you by these Ten Commandments, will you be guilty or innocent? And so where have we gone? We have went from the mind, and we went straight to the heart and to the conscience and challenged them there. And here's the deal. The Word of God never returns void. You cannot give out the gospel and a person leave your presence after giving them the word of God and that person being the same. He'll either be hardened or he'll be softened. I mean, we, we go around in evangelism, we, we almost go around with our tail between our legs thinking that, that we just don't have the tools. We've got the tools. We've got the most 
powerful message in the world. Why is that? Because it's carried uh, by the Holy Spirit to man's hearts. Okay, are you with me? Don't be shut up because people say, well, where's the evidence? You really want some evidence? I can give it to you. But your issue is you're a sinner and you're going to have to stand before God. And they say, ah, ah, you know, and many people have said that, but they went away with that ringing, not in their mind, but ringing in their heart. And they have to, as I said in Romans chapter 1, they have to hold the truth in unrighteousness. They have to hold it down. I don't believe, you know, you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, and I don't believe the way you did, and, you know, and it's okay for you to believe that. And who are you to be so arrogant to say that you have the truth? Well, because I have the truth, and I'm not being arrogant. Okay? I hope I got through to you today. All right. We're going to go from here to probably do some, a few lessons on um, solving problems in our life, problem solving, and, uh, and dealing with problems biblically. And then uh, pray for me because I really want to get into Isaiah chapter 53 and just tear it apart. And uh, what a wonderful passage. Many, many Jews are being converted because they can't get around. He was wounded for our transgressions. Who was? They say, well, it's not Israel, as the rabbis teach. It's a personal one. And understand that Isaiah 53 is the Messiah, and they embrace the Messiah.